iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Now, I think, first of all, we need to clear up uh, yesterday's cliffhanger because we did leave people who were listening, yes, because you and Kate were both feeling nauseous. Oh, yes. And I went home and because I I tend to be sort of, you know, basically I live, my life is the crucible by Arthur Miller. Uh, So I thought, my goodness, I'm going to catch whatever it was was ailing them, that nauseous hysteria. I'm going to get it too. And I spent all evening just sitting, waiting to start feeling ill. Nothing happened, and I went to bed filled with resentment. Oh. Not for the well, first time. Anyway, how are you? Well, Kate, why don't you and I pretend that we're feeling really, really difficult again tonight <laughs> and see if we can ruin another one of Jane Garvey's evenings? <laughs> I'm really absolutely shocked. So nothing nothing happened then? No, I had a slightly no. queasy night. Oh, did you? Okay. Yeah, but a bit hot and sweaty, but, you know... Uh, there are those nights. <laughs> those can happen. Yeah, they, they absolutely But are. I don't think either of us got worse. And you got better, didn't you, Kate, after a breath of fresh air? So, yeah, yeah. I don't think it was the chicken chasseur. Oh, yes. <laughs> Which, just translate that into English for anyone who doesn't know. What does it mean? What does it mean? <laughs> I don't know what a chasseur is. A hunter, is it? I thought you were going to tell me. No, is it hunter? I don't know. But I why, genuinely don't but know. But why would you put chicken in front of it? You'd say poulet. What does it mean? Shoes. Chicken, chicken shoes. shoes. <laughs> Ridiculous. It doesn't mean chicken shoes. Hang on. I'm going to look it up on the interweb. <laughs> yeah, you, while on. you're getting on with that, yep. I'll say that our big guest this afternoon was hugely successful TV showrunner Stephen Moffat. And you can hear from him a little bit later in this podcast. Thank you for your emails, Jane and Fee at times.radio. I managed to get my conversation about cheap bunches of daffodils onto the radio today. And um, what was very interesting, uh, really, is that it has... I, I always knew there must be a downside to the one-pound bunch of daffodils. And we had a great guest called Anna from Anna's Flower Farm. That was right, wasn't it? Yeah. Who basically just pointed out the obvious, which is kind of what I already knew but didn't really want to, I guess, come to terms with, which is that if you're selling a bunch of daffodils for a pound, somebody somewhere is having a really hard working life and not getting paid properly. So I will have to revisit my relationship with the one-pound bunch of daffodils. Um, Right, how are you getting on? Uh, Hunter, yeah. Here we are. I knew it. Uh, Kate claims to have researched it herself, and she's come up with an image of shoes. No, that isn't right. Googled it, and it says just shoes. It's shoes. No, that's shows... Say it again. Just shoes. It's shoes. Yes, but her. Not Sue's. Sir. Oh, my goodness me. This must be... French speakers <laughs> listening to this must have just about given up. I think so. A soldier equipped and trained for rapid movement, especially in the French army, uh, is the exact definition. 
Uh, sauce chasseur, sometimes called hunter's sauce, is a simple compound brown sauce. <laughs> A compound brown sauce. Oh, let's have a compound brown sauce with our chicken tonight. Can we have tonight? two two chicken compound brown sauce, please? <laughs> I don't know why I've put on that accent. What? Sorry, you were just. I heard you in the background. Uh, what were you doing? What was I doing? I was mainly talking about the one pound bunch of daffodils. Oh, okay, good. I'm so glad we've cleared that up. Yeah. Uh, I think we should worry about anything that costs a pound in a supermarket. That's the truth of it, yes, Jane. Yes, no, I think that's absolutely right. Can we deal with... Um, we had a really interesting email, which we wanted to keep for today because the ex-police officer, uh, David Carrick, was sentenced today and um, received a... A sentence of 30 years. He will spend no less than 30 years in prison. This is this absolutely hideous. I mean, there's no, there are no adjectives, but he was serial rapist and uh, all of his crimes were carried out while he was a police officer. It's all absolutely hideous. And um, we've had an email from somebody who said, your item on who would apply to be a nurse today, which was last week, wasn't it, made me reflect on my own profession and ask who would apply to be a police officer today. I can only speak for myself and my personal views, but each report of despicable and criminal behaviour from somebody wearing the same uniform hurts us all. The damage they cause reflects on each of us every time we go to incidents, speak to victims and generally go about our work. Worst of all is that we all know vulnerable victims, particularly of domestic and sexual abuse, will not come forward to get the help and protection they need and deserve from the police. Things are changing and work is being done to improve the culture, increase gender representation at rank and put in place supportive structures so officers and the public have got more confidence to report things and then see action taken against others who display worrying, inappropriate or criminal behaviour. But it does take time. And just as confidence increases, so too the number of cases that will continue to hit the media and further impact public trust and confidence. Um, it is a long email, this, and I'll just uh, just do one more paragraph. I was married to somebody who also worked for the police and was convicted of sexual offences against teenage girls, largely online, but he also committed a statutory rape due to the age of the girl who was 15. In addition, he was discovered to have had numerous affairs with older, legal-age teenagers, getting one pregnant and taking her for an abortion while we were undergoing IVF. I can honestly say that neither I nor anyone at work even with the benefits of hindsight, had any clue. No amount of vetting would have identified this behaviour or offending earlier. He was only found out when one girl disclosed something to a counsellor. Well, thank you very much for uh, telling us about that. I mean, I, I, I wish I could offer you any words of support or solace, but I, I simply can't think of anything. I'm grateful to you for your honesty. Um, and I really hope that you and the thousands of others, decent police officers, can just sort of move on and get on with your really important work. Because at the moment, there is no doubt, um, the reputation of the Metropolitan Police has just never been worse than it is now. Um, and it's very frightening and really, really worrying. Mm. I'd just like to say I really hope you don't carry with you any sense of uh, responsibility for your ex-husband's actions because I think that must be such a difficult thing to have revealed uh, about a person who obviously you loved and imagined a family future with. Uh, so, yes, I hope you're doing okay, actually. And I think it's really, really important as well 
to hear exactly those stories of people who you would never have suspected of anything because it it mm. it makes us all vulnerable doesn't it if we put into you know if we make one group recognizable as being the difficult group in society so if we started to say you know let's be fearful of a certain type of man in the police it makes you vulnerable because a certain type of man can be lurking absolutely anywhere it's just we're finding out about these dreadful men in the police force at the moment but it doesn't mean they're only there but what a brave email to send because it just must be incredibly difficult to write that down actually i'm sure uh, and actually our anonymous correspondent does uh, and it's very important this uh, does say um please keep us part of any conversation the fact that if people are concerned or too frightened to go to the police then they can contact victim support their gp women's aid to name a few and the most most important thing is to get help and be safe any police investigation must be secondary to that. Um, thank you very, very much. And um, it was interesting, actually, the judge today did, did mention, she referred to the, she said that Carrick thought he could get away with it because his victims would feel shame. And I think it is true that victims do feel shame, but you really, really wish we lived in a world where the shame was felt not by the victims, but by the perpetrators. And Carrick apparently made an attempt on his life while he was... Um, in on remand, and um, he was airlifted to hospital, and um, his life was saved. Which um, imagine being the doctors and nurses well, involved. Well, in that. quite. Oh, I don't know. Anyway, there are no words. So uh, yes, imagine being those doctors. But we are a humane society, and he got the same treatment as anybody else would in those circumstances. Mm. Uh, thank you for such uh, thoughtful and honest email. It's Jane and Fee at times.radio. Anything that you'd like to send to us, we read it carefully and we really do think about all of these things. I'm going to lighten the load now uh, and read one from John, the printer, which is in a completely different vein. And it says, I'm a 57-year-old printer who listens to podcasts while I operate my printing machine at the small workshop in South Manchester that I've occupied since 1987. I'll keep it short and snappy. You two are, and you said a very nice word there. I'm just going to say you two are okay. Uh, down to earth, funny, warm, engaging, obviously very intelligent, and multi-pet owning, which is very good. Not sure if Jane has pets. Well, sometimes I'm not entirely sure either, but I'm, I do have one, John. Uh, she has been mentioned, and she will be furious at the thought that you it hasn't registered with you. Uh, John goes on to say, my partner Rosie and I are just about to adopt a cat, 10 years old from a local rescue, as our wonderful Hazel passed away aged 14 in August last year. And there's a cat-shaped hole in our life. Uh, and uh, you've given us a 10 out of 10 there, John, and uh, we'll, we'll accept that uh, very graciously. I really, really wish you well with your new cat. I'm sorry that you lost Hazel. 14 is a good age. It's a good innings in a for a cat. cat. Very and good. also how lovely uh, that you are taking a 10-year-old from a local rescue, because I think it's always just so much easier to go for the little kittens, isn't it? Yeah. Brian and Barbara are doing very well, Jane. Thank you for asking. How are Brian and Barbara doing? <laughs> They're doing very you well. You told me the other day that Barbara was a bit of a nuisance. Barbara is a total pain. So she's just, she's just difficult. Uh, I nearly put her in, well, she was in the dishwasher the other day. I very, I put the tab in. Oh, no. Uh, I don't bother with a rinse aid. And I'd shut the door. Uh, and I looked around and I thought, oh, I better just check that. And she's the same colour as the inside of a dishwasher. Actually, a friend of mine, very cruelly the other day, said that she's the same colour as the stuff
stuff that's inside your Hoover bag when you empty it. Tell you what, Farrow and Ball will be on to you. <laughs> so, what what would you call it? Well, that you're absolutely right. It's Barbara Gray. <laughs> <laughs> So she's a minx, but we're enjoying her very much. I tell you what, Sue Gray's not a name we hear often enough, is it? I'd like to hear more from Sue All Gray. All we again. heard for months on end at one point was Sue Gray. Yeah, but do you remember when the report was about to be published and then it got delayed? She was actually meant to be going on holiday, and she had to delay her holiday because of the report. And I just remember thinking, that poor woman. You know, you've gone through all of that. You've got this incredible scrutiny bearing down on yeah. you. You've got a lovely two weeks booked on the north coast of Devon, mm. and you can't go. So I hope she's still on holiday. I I really hope she is. She deserves a rest. Um, This is from Vanessa. You mentioned you liked hearing from people overseas. Right. And I'm in Australia. Whilst Australia experiences lots of sunshine, here in the state of Victoria, we get a much greater variety of weather from one hour to the next. But when the sun does shine, it's fierce. And after 13 years of living here, having moved from the UK, I was finally persuaded to have a skin cancer check. Now, this involves a doctor very closely examining your skin from head to toe with a special magnifying glass. As I dutifully lay on the bed, I commented to the doctor that I had a large mole just under my bra line. She had a good laugh when she examined it and told me it wasn't a mole, but a third nipple. Apparently 10% of people have got third nipples or breast tissue that can appear anywhere from the armpit down to the bottom of the ribs. Some women even have to endure enlarged breast tissue in the armpit when they get pregnant. That's from Vanessa. I did not know that. I knew that it was possible to have more than one nipple. Oh, sorry, more <laughs> than two. More than two. <laughs> How yes. long were you on woman's hour? <laughs> well, t- very, very much too long. <laughs> but I did not know. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make myself sound more sensible. I knew it was possible to have three nipples, but I did not know that breast tissue could appear anywhere or could even enlarge during a pregnancy. No, I didn't know that either. Well, I mean, that's your takeout from today, isn't it? Now you've sorted out your one pound daffodils. <laughs> We're going to take that take that away from you, Vanessa. Thank you. Um, that was very, very, very interesting. Now, famously, I think Anne Boleyn had three nipples and five fingers. But, well, they dispute that, don't they? Do they? Yeah. Is that a feature you've done? <laughs> Almost certainly. <laughs> Listen, I had 13 years of woman's hour. There's plenty of time to explore every every single inch of Anne Boleyn. Yeah. So I think it's always so sad, isn't it, that that's the kind of stuff that we remember about Anne Boleyn. Because, what, you know, what a terrible life she had and actually she must have endured so much oh. in it. Uh, but it will be the thing that future generations remember about Prince Harry. The only thing <laughs> that the younger participants in my family life really know is about Prince Harry from all of the revelations of the last month is that he had a frostbitten penis and he put Elizabeth Arden cream on it. Yes. And that's going to go throughout history. And I wonder whether or not he foresaw that as being his unique memory legacy. I'm not sure that was his intention, but you're <laughs> you're right. It's I, I, I wonder, quite honestly, what it's done to sales of that cream um, and whether or not <laughs> it's gone down. <laughs> well, that's, that's what I mean. <laughs> It's not I mean, it's not the greatest association ever, is it? No, it's not. Product placement and all. But wouldn't it be funny if they did uh you know if they did use it in a an advertising campaign? Because if I was in charge of their marketing, that's what I would do. I'd own it, sister. Yeah, you're not, you're not actually currently in charge of their marketing and I frankly supply. if that's your big idea, I, I wouldn't jump ship from the happy world of broadcasting all that soon. 
I might try and think of some strap lines. Oh, my goodness. Right. Uh, I think it's high time you introduced our guest today. Our guest today was Stephen Moffat, who's the writer behind lots of things that you have probably watched, many of them from behind a sofa. Doctor Who, Sherlock, Dracula. Uh, before that, he made Coupling, Joking Apart, and our all-time favourite, Press Gang. You do have to be of a certain age to remember Press Gang. His latest venture, though, is into the world of theatre, with a new play called The Unfriend, now on in London after a initial run in Chichester. Good afternoon. So this tells the story of Peter and Debbie and their two teenage children. Tell us more about them and who moves into their world. Well, Peter and Debbie are two people I actually know in real life and the first 20 minutes this play actually happened. They were on a cruise and they met a flamboyant American lady whom they sort of liked but found a bit much and she seemed to know everyone on the ball. But they did that thing, uh, that way of getting rid of somebody which is we must keep in touch and exchanged emails. And when this woman announced that she was uh, coming to stay, to their great horror, they thought it was maybe worth Googling her. Um, because she had rather an unusual name, I won't give the real name, I'll give the name she has in the play, which is Elsa Jean Krakowski, they discovered she was a killer. I mean, an actual multiple killer, a serial killer. Someone who was on the loose only because of a, on a, on a legal technicality. Someone who committed really, really horrible, awful murders. Not nice murders, like killing an abusive husband or something. Really horrid ones. And she was coming to stay. And they had to spend uh, an agonising night trying to compose an email that wasn't too offensive. <laughs> You know, to say, you know, basically, I mean, we are making no judgments, but honestly, our kids are against murdering. Something like that. They eventually managed to, uh, to, to send that email and forestall her, but in the play version, Elsa turns up and they spend their time in an agony of embarrassment wondering how to raise the issue of the fact that she's a multiple killer. So when your friends first told you that story, mm. how long did it then take for you to think that is winning and I can do something with Oh, it. instantly. Okay. Uh, I was, uh, we were away in France uh, with uh, Peter, whose real name is Peter, uh, <laughs> and uh, sitting on a patio with my brother-in-law and Peter, and uh, we, uh, we were just exchanging stories and he started telling me this one. And I had this terrible cold idea that maybe there was another writer in earshot and I'd have to kill them because I thought, no, that's perfect. And I said to him, can I have that? And he said, what do you mean? I said, can I have it? Can I write a play based on that? and just change it so that she turns up. And he laughed and said, yes, so long as I didn't change his name. I didn't. Sorry, Peter. And uh, uh, so he could come to the first night. He never thought it was going to happen. But uh, a year and a half later, I told him I'd written it. It absolutely has. So when he was telling you that story, was that little nugget about manners the, the thing also that attracted you? Because this is a comedy of manners, isn't it? It's about the difficulty that people have being honest when they're kind of, they've got this terrible... Th portcullis of manners in front of them. Yes. I mean, it's absolutely about that. It's about, I find it very, very difficult ever to be offensive uh, to someone if they're actually in the room. I'm brilliant if they're not there and no one can hear me. I'm amazingly incisive and interrogative. But the moment I'm actually face to face with a human being, I can't say anything. I just couldn't imagine how I would explain to someone that they couldn't cook for my children because they might poison them. I'd probably just take the poisoning risk, you know? Yeah, I that mean, is weird, though, isn't it? Because you, I think of, of all of the cases I've heard of people who shouldn't come to stay with you, that mm. is by far the worst. It, and you'd be entitled to say, mm. uh, you're absolutely terrifying and please mm. never darken our yeah. door again. Yes, you would. I yeah. would. Uh, but, you know, uh, worse yet is if... Because uh, what I kept saying to Peter is... Well, if you'd 
Googled her later. She'd been in your house. Mm. And I was just trying to imagine that. What do you say? Um, do you like the spare room? What do you want for breakfast? Please leave. You're a killer. OK. Yeah. Uh, so your friends know that this is based on a true story, their yeah. truth. Does the, does the nasty piece of work know that the play's on? I'm praying not, because she has a pastime that I find quite alarming. Um, and she's a real person, and uh, obviously I haven't used her real name, and I'm, I'm hoping not to see her on any night in so the criteria. She's not in prison? She's not in prison, no. There was uh, she spent, I think, six months, something like that. Uh, And because there was some uh, sort of legal technicality that got wrong and she was released and uh, she's out there. Do you know, I've always been a little bit worried about cruises and now I'm really no, I'm never going on a I don't think it's typical of cruises, I have to say that. <laughs> I think you know, there are many people you can meet on a cruise who are not murdered. Okay. Why write it for the stage and not for the place where you've made such a name for yourself on TV? It just felt like a play is one reason. It felt like that. And I think it is that. Because the nice thing about a play is you sort of confine it to one place quite easily, without having to explain. You, I mean, if you can have you the television version, you have, to, you have to go and see her, or what she does, what she does when she's not in the house. Somehow just that contained feeling felt right. Also, I'd been sort of desperate to, to do a play because I had spent 33 years or something doing exactly the same thing all the time. So mm. was... And can you sneak into the theatre and watch performances and, you know, feel confident about it? Do you get affected by maybe you're sitting, you know, next to the one person who doesn't laugh oh, in the place I've, that I've you I've been wanted. in it quite a lot. Yeah. I've been, and yeah, that is, that is a hazard. I sat next to someone the other day who uh, simply and continuously cleared his throat. That's all he did. He went, <coughs> every 20 seconds. And I thought, he just sounded like he was cross or that he was going to interrupt. He probably had a cold, let's yeah, be honest. Yeah, possible. I still yeah. punched him. But, uh, you know, it was fine. Can we just... Um, let's go into the conversation. So, man with stellar TV career approaches the world of theatre and says, I've written a play. What, mm. What's the reaction? Dare they be snooty to you? Well, let me tell you what the reaction was, because this isn't the first play. When I left Doctor Who and Sherlock, uh, and I thought, well, I really fancy writing a play, I wrote a play, which was not this one. And I thought, being as, you know, I'm me, surely the whole world will flock to my door and weep with gratitude when I hand over. No, they didn't. I, I sent it off and most of them didn't reply. <laughs> so, did they not know the name? Yeah, I'm sure they did. But, well, well, you know, once, once you take the TARDIS away, who cares? Uh, it was uh, so, Gosh, no. It's brutal. I mean, so are they that snooty? It's not snooty. I think they just didn't like the play. And that's I fair enough. That. Yeah, no, I suppose. Yeah. That is, well, is it, though? I mean, because TV is... I'm just amazed that there's the possibility, even, that people in theatre might look down on wild. I don't think they look down TV. on me. I think they didn't want to put that play on. I mean, that's. Uh, I think there's a sort of uh, illusion that you get to a sort of level in the industry where people just say, well, he's famous, so we better spend millions on him. That doesn't happen. That never happens. I've got loads of stuff that's been turned down. Mm, okay, we'd like I'm to quite see. right too, by the way. Quite right, right okay. too. Yeah. You've got two teens in the story. Yeah. Are they harder to write than ever before because teens are in a very knowing world these days? Um, well, I've got, you know, I recently had two teenagers. <laughs> they're, they're, they've grown a little now, they're in their early 20s. But no, I don't think so. I think teenagers are very much the same as. I, I mean, I, obviously, I remember teenagers differently when I was a teenager because I was right about everything. But surprisingly enough, modern teenagers are wrong about everything and I'm still the one who's right. So it's changed. It's changed over the years. And do you think a modern teen would be able to sit down and watch 
press gang and enjoy it because it was set in a time when they were creating a paper, like a proper mm. newspaper, yeah. every day. They didn't have the social media, they didn't have the phones, they mm. didn't have all of that. Do you think it would still... I have no idea is, it, is the re, uh, real answer to that because I, I, every time I've suggested to my sons that they might want to watch my old television show, they said no. Uh, so I don't know how it would play with modern teens, but uh, I think I think it's quite good, so I think it might be all right. They're perfectly capable of watching things set in the past. And curiously, all the things you talk about there don't impact tremendously on television. I was thinking about that. You know when on TV shows, uh, quite regular when you watch them, even really modern, really, really good ones, people turn up at the door, ring the doorbell and come in for a coffee. Mm. Do you, I don't even... I, I would be astonished if any of my friends turned up at my door what, without warning without, me four times yeah. in advance, mm. emailing me. Shed. I, I get surprised if someone phones me without texting first. But say, we don't do it on television. In television, people still do yeah. the old-fashioned way. But yeah. there is, I've never seen a home that looks genuine, a home that looks genuine on television. Mm. We still have these curious, clutter-free environments and these. Well, do you know that one of the kitchens. reasons for that? One of the reasons for that is. You, to make a show, a, a, a room look cluttered on television, you have to make it insanely cluttered. The camera clean, oh, is that right? okay. cleans up everything. What so you go you on the, the set and you think it looks really cluttered and normal and real and then you put it on telly and it's suddenly it's sparkling and lovely and you could sell yeah. bread from it. I mean, it's... Uh, I'm not thing. sure you're right on that, Garth. I don't want to start I a fight here. I write about oh. television for the Radio Times. So I'm thinking Can't of the house Sorry in, about that, in Outnumbered. It was one of the reasons why I well, loved that series, I because think, it was yeah. it was so messy. And, and maybe they I'm had exactly of, the same. And maybe I'm thinking of Channel 5 dramas at oh, 9 o'clock. Oh, really? Okay. Uh, and possibly someone at the ITV. Okay. <laughs> uh, can, can you watch something like Happy Valley without, uh, you know, seeing the kind of furniture of your trade in it? Oh, no, I, I've got no problem with forgetting that I work in television. None at all. None, none whatsoever. Are we going to struggle during this interview to make you pin down your talent, Stephen? I feel oh, that well, we are. But pin down my talent? Yes. I think people have struggled with that for 30 years. Do you years, struggle with Frank. it? Right, with pinning down my talent? <laughs> well, no, with celebrating your talent. Celebrating? Yeah. Oh, that would be a very strange thing to do. <laughs> What we've no. got here, Fee, is a taciturn Scott. <laughs> a taciturn? I thought I was talking quite a lot. <laughs> I'm being argumentative. Okay. Uh, did you watch the recent Happy Valley series? Oh, and see, I knew you were going to ask that. Um, I'm, I'm just up to date with the second season. That's okay. how late I am. So I'm doing this thing, which I had to do a few years ago with Broadchurch, of walking into rooms saying, I don't know, so don't tell me. And uh, Chris Chibnall's a good friend of mine, so uh, it was really embarrassing that I hadn't seen Broadchurch until later. So I'm, I'm just out of step. Sorry. Well, don't worry, I'll scrap the next ten questions and okay, we'll just move on to something please else. Do that. Well, we did want to ask you, actually, about that uh, kind of balance between box sets and the way that we used to watch television. And mm. Happy Valley seems to have proved something, mm. uh, that actually we are still interested in series that we can't consume all at once, you know, had very good... Well, surely features. that's partly a function of how it's provided for you. Yes, I we mean, didn't have a choice. You didn't have a choice, so, I mean, that's not us voting with our feet. But why, just... why do people get bothered about that at all? Should Does anyone really get bothered? Is it well, just television people? Well, I think you'll find there articles. are articles in the newspapers about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, but I mean real people, not people who write articles in newspapers. But no, I think, I I think it is... I enjoyed this season of Happy Valley because I was made to wait for it and it became a part I think of it's my a weekend. perfectly valid way to do it and, I, and most of the shows I've ever done have been that way. Um, but at the same time, if uh, I, I can also see the logic in just saying... 
you know, your bookcase doesn't tell you when you can read the next chapter. Why should your television tell you when you watch the next episode? I've enjoyed yeah. both. I also, with the, with the recent show, which I very much enjoyed, The Traitors, mm-hmm. you know, you had to wait. And I, I, I like that, fine. But I think there are, I, I imagine there will always be room for both. That, you know, the show that just suddenly is available through it and the other show that makes you wait. Mm. Sometimes in some shows, if you really want to... Uh, have people agonise about a cliffhanger, then it's good to, to make them. So you wouldn't, as the creator, you wouldn't insist on the way, that, the method by which your show is delivered? <laughs> I could try insisting. That would be interesting. Um, you get told how your show is delivered. Uh, I mean, recently we did a, a three-part Dracula, which went out in consecutive nights, and I was a bit uneasy about it. I didn't think that was right for it at all. I thought uh, I would have liked it to have been over three different weeks but you don't get a say in that and in total fairness what do i know about scheduling so so what's included in the term showrunner which is mm. what you've been described as um well what the real job title is and kind of you know within the, you know contractually and in the credits you'll notice there is no role showrunner but what it generally speaking means uh is the uh the exec is executive producer and lead writer or sometimes executive producer and solo writer of the show, so the the one of the executive producers who also writes it, it's it's probably sort of total editorial control. It's control of the fiction of it. Right. If it didn't really happen, I gave the order. So it is king of the heap. Mm. King of the heap in a way. Tell that to my wife. Tell that to my uh, all the people I work with. Voiceover describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. Voiceover on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Pig.com. 
Stephen Moffat is our guest this afternoon. We were talking about his new play, The Unfriend, which is on in London. It premiered down in Chichester. We will talk about lots of other things that you've done. We've got a lot to pack in, in that case, into the last seven minutes of the programme. Uh, Stephen, you've lent into your own life a lot for your work. Mm. So press gang as a student, chalk, your time as a teacher, joking apart about the breakup of your first marriage, mm. coupling about falling in love again. Yeah. What would the drama of a super successful man of your age now be about and look like? Or just a man on a sofa eating, I think, wouldn't it? <laughs> I mean, it'd probably be something like that. I don't think, I don't think there's been a show about a showrunner, probably, because it'd just be watch. boring. But a serious question, okay. what would be the stories that you would want to tell about a man of your age? A man of my age? Um, I never... I don't know. I haven't a clue. I haven't a clue, because I don't even know... Uh, that I'm typical of men of my age. Uh, do you know what? I'm not sure what I would say about that. Just probably being generally grumpy do and cross think? with everybody else. Can we take you to the world of Doctor Who? Because oh, I, I, I wondered when you would. Well, um, yes, I had a feeling mm. you might be wondering mm. about that. Um, if I'm honest, and hey, we may as well no, be honest. No, don't be honest. No, no, lie. No, lie, I, no, lie I, constructively. If I were to lie... Even, flatter, flatter, even the only way. I would, I would have to say that I was a massive fan of Doctor Who, but in truth, it was a world whilst I utterly get that to some people it mattered more than almost anything else. I never got it. Did you get Doctor Who? I, I mean, was... in any incarnation. I'm talking... I go back to John Pertwee, and I didn't get it then. Well, I think we probably share the same Doctor Who. It's a bit of a kind of... Uh, it's a dating mechanism. It is a dating mechanism, yeah. uh, I liked it very much when I was younger, uh, but I did find it absolutely terrifying. And terrifying, too, yeah. But, yeah, I have terrifying. kids who absolutely lived by yeah. your Doctor Who's. Right. Sorry, I interrupted the flow of your question No, there, it was really just about how you felt about entering what is a world that the fans, the aficionados, they hold it so dear, it's so significant to them. And you come in and you start doing things with it. What was that like? Enormously good fun. I mean, first of all, I, I always was a Doctor Who fan. I absolutely adore Doctor Who. Although I did find it terrifying as mm. well. I noticed you you explained how indifferent you were to Doctor Who for quite a long while before admitting you were terrified. Well, I was only not the small, same thing. Small girls, not the same even. thing. You were not indifferent. You were too frightened to watch well, it. Not which of, is magical. Not and of wonderful. the Daleks, I wasn't. No. You weren't well well done, because they're not very frightening. But the Cybermen are really yeah, awesome. Okay, and the weeping angels. Were. I mean, come on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what was it like coming in? You are aware that when you're dealing or how shall I put it, with the hyper invested that nothing will ever be right and certainly nothing will ever be right for everyone. That's fair enough. That's absolutely fair enough. Mm. But as Russell once put it, uh, if a Doctor Who fan hates an episode, that means they watch it 30 times instead of 40. It's all right. You're not actually playing to that audience, no. really, at all. Um, and the first people to agree with that would be Doctor Who fans who would like the show to be a mainstream hit so they know that, that they're not always going to be catered for in the front line. So it's fine. It was just brilliant. It was just brilliant fun to do that show. I loved it. Absolutely loved it. Was it a big budget? No, it's not as big a budget at any point as it ever should have been. I think uh, I think Russell's got some more now, which is good. That's Russell uh, T. Davis. Yeah, Russell T. Davis is yeah. back in charge of it again. Uh, but generally speaking, I think it obviously uh, should have the biggest budget in the world, is what I always think, because it's the most demanding show to make. You've got one set that you use every week, the Inside, inside the TARDIS, and two main characters, sometimes three, mm -hmm. they run out the doors of that set in the first minute, and everything else you're buying, everything else costs you. So I, it should have the biggest budget in the whole world. 
But never quite. It's never quite big enough. But, you know, the modern show has been a rather handsome show, I think. Yeah. Nice way of putting it. Very handsome handsome show. Mm. Can I ask you about diversity in your business? Uh, Looking back over your career, how much do you think you benefited from simply being a clever white man? I have absolutely no idea because I've only ever been that. But do you recognise that you might have had a an easier path or would you see that as denigrating your success i i I think if you're unaware of how lucky you've been throughout your life then luck will show you what else it can do so i'm always feeling fortunate about everything and certainly uh, i imagine that it's better to be the white man than otherwise but uh, uh was i aware of it not of that of other things other things you can be aware of. I was aware of uh, the fantastic advantage of coming from a loving home. <laughs> I mean, that's an amazing advantage, uh, and having a decent education and all that. But uh, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't aware of uh, of the the diversity thing. No. Mm. Uh, do you? But that feel... does, doesn't mean it's not there. Obviously, no, no, no. it is. I just mean if you're. And asking do you feel because obviously you know your industry much better than we do? Do you think that people have woke woken up to it enough now? in the commissioning process, that enough arms are being extended. It feels as though every effort is being made. Yes, it, but, you know, I, that doesn't mean I'm right to say that. Um, you know, I've, I've been around television for 30-odd years. I've never met anyone. And I've met people from, a, you know, contrary to what people say about television, there's a fair width of political viewpoint in it from uh, left to right, um, I've never met anyone who didn't think diversity was a good idea. Mm, I've never met one single, I mean, not one single human being who didn't think that equal opportunity, that diversity, all these things were good, were were something to work for. I never met anyone who was against it. Um, So if it's not happening or if it's not happening fast enough or it it doesn't work as well as you would wish it to, then maybe it's more complicated than we think it is. But I am no expert. We're all experts in our own little human way, and you're right to say all of that. Uh, just very briefly before you go, we've only got about ten seconds left. Uh, if you have an evening on the sofa tonight, what do you watch? The Unfriend. <laughs> uh, in, the, in the Criterion Theatre. <laughs> At 7.30. Please come along, I'll be there with my wife. It's our 25th wedding anniversary. Come and say hello. That was Stephen Moffat, who's the writer behind Doctor Who, Sherlock, Dracula, so many things, and I suspect somewhat of a professional in the world of the interview uh, with that payoff that made sure that we ended with the plug for his show, for his show, which is on at the Criterion Theatre. Um, I, I don't think he liked uh, the cut of my jib when I said I just didn't like Doctor Who, but I didn't, and I don't. And it doesn't mean I don't respect the huge amount of effort that goes into making it, but I, I would simply never watch it. Mm. How would you answer the question, do you look back over your career and think it has been oiled by your privilege oh um of course of course it has so actually Stephen himself said that he had a you know a decent home life and a and a good childhood and that's the that's the gift that can keep on giving throughout the rest of your life which you are all too frequently not that grateful for so I absolutely would own that plus white uh middle class Good at private education, may as well be honest about it. Um, and um, yes, and would I be here now without those things? Quite possibly not. Mm. That's an interesting one to ponder. Well, I, mean, I think, to be fair, I think we are, I think both of us actually do acknowledge that we are 
we have been hugely privileged. Um, our, our only um, lack of privilege comes from our biological sex. And that has made, I think our broadcasting careers would not have been the same, arguably, might even have been worse if we were male. I don't know, because there would have been more of us and maybe we would have struggled to be heard. Well, there is that, uh, I think. And, you know, I, 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 I very much enjoyed that kind of uh, ambition of my early 20s. But I do look back and think, God, actually, you know, there, there was just a lot more energy being poured into that than perhaps male contemporaries needed to. But you're right. That's all, you know, that's all part of our journey. Who knows what would have happened if what would have happened if we'd done it differently or, you know, or been of a different gender. Anyway, we very much enjoyed meeting Stephen and we we're very grateful uh, to him for coming in to see us. Jane of Fee at times.radio. Now, last night, um, as well as the nausea hanging over the studio, uh, I was in a hurry because I had to go home to watch Vera. And what actually happened was when I got home, I was just too tired to watch Vera, which is a real new low for me, even well, for me. Really? I managed to watch it. The one that was on on Sunday? Yes, yeah. Yeah, I, I haven't given yeah, myself to it. It's not bad at all. Really, isn't it? Yeah, the thing that I really uh, I'm frustrated by in Vera, actually, for about the last four series, is they've stopped telling the backstory of Vera. Oh, and so, her father. Yes. Yeah. So it it crept along really nicely mm. in earlier series, mm. and it was fascinating. Well, these are not Anne Cleave stories, no. are they? No. So you know, it's a little bit more uh, templated. You know, just around one case. Yes. And yeah. I don't find that as intriguing at all. And correct me if I'm wrong, because you are the world expert on Vera, and that will be your specialist subject if you ever appear on Celebrity Mastermind. Oh, I forgot to tell you. Have you been invited on to Celebrity University Challenge this year? What? For your university. There's no. a new series coming up. What? And you know <laughs> who's hosting it. Amol. Oh. Have you not been asked? No. <laughs> Let's get on to the University of Birmingham, make sure that happens. Anyway. Um, Hang on a second. Have you been invited? Yes. But you've already done it. I know. Do you want to go instead of me? What, it pretend means... I went to the University of Kent to Canterbury? That... I'm not doing that. I'm not that bloody desperate. You <laughs> <laughs> would say that. You're so mean. Uh, she, Vera, at one stage, uh, there was a plot line about her having had a sister. Do you remember oh, that? Oh, yes, I do remember that. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I really wanted that to continue. Well, I was up for the part of Vera's sister. Were you? <laughs> yeah, that would be very successful. <laughs> right, I'm going to write to the University of Birmingham and make sure that well, their celebrity uh, alumni no. department is going to get in touch with you because it would be so funny, Jane. If you and I ended up competing on competing teams, that would be brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. I'm not so sure it would be brilliant for me, to be who, honest. Who are the other alumni from Birmingham that you could... Um, I've never used the word alumni so often as I have in the last couple uh, of minutes. Oh, well, there are lots of people who went to Birmingham. And if you go on the Google, you can find them all. In fact, let's just do it. Oh, yes. OK, excellent. <clears throat> Are we ready? Yes. Well, I'm glad you asked who the famous alumni of Birmingham University are. Tamsin Gregg. Brilliant. Ben Shepherd, Brilliant. Chris Tarrant. OK. <laughs> and the Right Honourable Anne Whittacombe. What a line-up. <laughs> <laughs> what a lineup! Well, nothing not be. to like there. So you could team captain that. Well, I, yes, I'd, I'd give myself a fair chance. Yes, strangely, it doesn't mention me as anyway. Doesn't, I, I'm over it. I'm so over it. They've given me an honorary doctorate. They can't do more. Right, um, right. Uh, we're back tomorrow. Uh, it's all glorious, absolutely lovely, marvelous, great. Bye. Yes. Well, tomorrow it's grime, wellness, and tech. Have a good evening. <laughs> Thank you.
You have been listening to Off Air with Jane Garvey and Fee Glover. Our Times radio producer is Rosie Cutler and the podcast executive producer is Ben Mitchell. Now you can listen to us on the free Times radio app or you can download every episode from wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget that if you like what you heard and thought, hey, I want to listen to this but live, uh, then you can, Monday to Thursday, 3 till 5 on Times Radio. Yeah, embrace the live radio jeopardy. Thank you for listening and hope you can join us off air very soon. Goodbye. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com.